the verse that we memorized in, in, at children's camp was part of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Uh, I just read a portion of it, and, and since we began this series called In Between, looking at the third book of the Psalter, uh, we've been kind of connecting the dots with this picture that we find in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, uh, seeing then uh, that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's been set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, as we looked at that at children's camp, we learned some lessons. We need to uh, train like champions train. We need to look at the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11 and learn from them. We need to train like champions train, and then we need to do what champions do. If we're going to be a champion in following Jesus and pleasing God, then we need to do what champions do and train the way champions train. Um, at that part of that training means that we spend time in God's Word uh, and we spend time in prayer every day. And it's my prayer for our students, our children, that they make that a habit of their life, a discipline that becomes a delight, becomes a daily routine for them. And if you're uh, not a child and yet you are not daily uh, digesting God's Word and encountering Him through Bible study and prayer, my hope and prayer for you is that you would make it a discipline that becomes a delight and a daily routine. Uh, but our children learn to uh, train the way uh, champions train, and that also means that we've got to get rid of our junk, lay aside every weight in the sense that so easily ensnares us. We've got to get rid of the junk in our life, the sin and the things that keep us from pleasing God. Uh, so if we're going to be a champion, we've got to do what champions do. We've got to train the way champions train. We've got to get rid of our junk. We've got, to, uh, we've got to run the race with endurance. A champion's going to run the race with endurance. Doesn't give up when times are tough, uh, but sticks to it uh, by following Jesus. Uh, really, when it all comes down to it, a champion is someone who follows Jesus. And, and that's really what we looked at at children's camp uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 also helps us as we look at the in-between in which we're living. Uh, in between here and heaven, uh, there are great days, but there are also challenging days. There are seasons of, of great uh, uh, blessing, but there are also seasons of great sorrow. And it's in those in-between times that we need uh, some direction and we need some help. Today, as we look at Psalm 75, we're going to see that that the psalmist leads us on a journey even when the world is melting. Even when the world is melting. Sometimes our life is, is like uh, uh, that ice cream cone on a hot summer day and the summer heat begins to melt that cone so much that we don't really get to enjoy it. It just drips all over us and we, rarely, and we, and we miss out on the full joy of that ice cream cone. Sometimes our life is like that. The seasons in our life and the difficulties we face, they're filled with those white hot heat moments that rob us of the coolness of an ice cream cone, the joy of the flavors and savoring the sensations 
of a season of, 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 of ease and stress-free living. And, and sometimes the world seems to melt around us. Sometimes um, it seems like everything's fallen to pieces. And it's in that, in that season, and, and that's a season that we all face. Every person here who is a follower of Jesus, you're going to face those seasons. I look around this room, and conversations and time and counsel that we've shared together over 13 years, I know the seasons that many of you have faced. And we've talked about them and we've prayed over them. And, and I know those seasons. I, I, I know that all of us as followers of Jesus, just like last week when I said every follower of Jesus has a season of stupid. This, this day, I want us to know that every follower of Jesus has a season of suffering. But in that season of suffering, God wants us to navigate through it. Now, the in-between is, you know, there is uh, mourning for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, there, there, there's, there's a season of pain, but we can be confident that there is victory on its way, that, that we feel perhaps that the defeat of circumstances is overwhelming us, but we know that Jesus is always leading us into triumph. We, we are living in that here, but heaven bound kind of perspective. And, and this, this in between can become painful. And especially in seasons of suffering, especially when the world is melting. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 75. And and as you're turning there, I just want to remind you that uh, tonight, beginning at 6 o'clock, we have the Master's Choir leading us in worship. You want to be here for this time of of worship together as we rise up and sing. It's going to be a marvelous time, a special time. It's going to be fun. Um, and uh, I've gotten permission to even share that, yes, I indeed have a solo tonight. So you don't want to miss that. Or maybe you do, but at least come for the comic relief. Psalm 75. The psalmist begins, and, and, and I, 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 we've got we've to break this down a little bit so that we see the portions here. We give thanks to you, O God. This is Psalm 75, verse 1. We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your wondrous works declare that your name is near. Okay, so that's the psalmist speaking. And he leads the congregation in this, we give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks. Now, beginning in verse 2, God interrupts the worship service. I pray, O God, that you would interrupt us like this. God begins to speak in verse 2. Listen to his words. When I choose the proper time, I will judge with equity. The earth and all of its inhabitants are dissolved. This is the world melting. I set it up. I set up its pillars firmly. Selah. I said to the boastful, don't deal boastfully. And to the wicked, don't lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Don't speak with a stiff neck. Now verse 6. The end of verse 5, God stops speaking. Verse 6, the psalmist picks up and and confesses. In in light of what God has said, here's the psalmist confessing. Exaltation comes neither from east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is judge. He puts down one, he exalts another. In the hand of the Lord there is a cup and the wine is red. 
It is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. But I will declare forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. Now, verse 10, God speaks again. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. As we read this passage, it's, it's, it's important for us to kind of get a picture of what, what's happening here. The psalmist, if, if, we, if we flow out of Psalm 74 into Psalm 75, we see that, that perhaps the psalmist is leading a people who are experiencing their season of suffering. And this season of suffering feels like the world is melting. And so the psalmist picks up uh, this, the, these hints and, and these soulful tones of, of the blues, and he declares, we're going to praise our way through this. In fact, that is really the, the theme of this psalm, that through praise to God, we find hope in between here and heaven. It's similar to what the writer of Hebrews was saying uh, in in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He said, now, when, when you're enduring difficult days, the focus doesn't need to be the circumstance, but rather the focus needs to be Jesus. We need to set our gaze on the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave to bring us into friendship with God so that we might live in fellowship with him. We need to set our focus on Jesus. We set our gaze on him and we find the strength and the courage we need to run with endurance the race that has been set before us. But we've got to set our focus on Jesus. That's what praise does. In the midst of melting moments, the psalmist lifts up his voice and leads us to praise the Lord. As we praise the Lord, we experience hope in what God is doing. We find hope in what God has done. And we find hope in what God will do. As you and I walk through between here and heaven, as we encounter our seasons of suffering in those melting moments, we need to be diligent to praise the Lord. The psalmist begins praising the Lord, and we hear his praise as he declares that God is near and active. This morning, whatever the circumstance of your life, you need to praise God. If indeed you know him, if indeed you're a follower of Jesus, the temptation for us is this, for us to recite and recount every hateful, heat-filled moment of our day. The challenge is for us to lay aside those weights And to set our gaze upon Jesus and to recite the wondrous deeds of a living God. The psalmist says, I thank you, O God. Verse 1, I thank you, O God. Your wondrous deeds recount your wondrous work, your 
power, your majesty. They re- recount that you are near, that you are here. You want to know what's missing in many of our soulful moments? Praise. Why? Because we become so consumed with the doom and the gloom that that's all we talk about. And we push out a vision of God near and active. But if we turn the story on its head and instead of setting our gaze on the season of sorrow and suffering, but rather set our gaze upon Jesus and begin to praise God, thank him, the psalmist said, I thank you, O God, I thank you. Do you spend more time thanking God or do you spend more time grumbling about how bad your life is? Do you spend more time thanking God or do you spend more time making a list of all the things that are going wrong? The the psalmist says, I'm going to thank God because when I thank God, I find hope. If, If I'm thanking God, if I give thanks, I gain hope. When I give thanks, I gain hope. Why? Because I'm reciting all that God has done, is doing, and believing him to still be at work. Guys, instead of making a laundry list of all the things that are wrong, and I'm not saying we don't do that, I do it. I mean, I make a list every Monday morning. I make a list, a long list. Of everything that is wrong. But that's not my focus. I make a list of everything that's wrong. And then I make a longer list. And a more diligent list of thanking God for everything that he's doing. See, I don't want my vision to be confined to the season of suffering, even though the sorrows are real. I want my vision to be expanded with the God of hope who has loved me enough to send Jesus to die on a cross for me a sinner, to bring me into fellowship with himself. And if he will take Jesus and raise him from the dead, then I can live with absolute certainty that he will walk close to me. And even in the death-dealing blows of my suffering moments, I can know that a resurrection is coming, that God is moving with power and victory. When we give thanks, we gain hope. So many of us are living in the doldrums of despair because, not because life is better for others than it is for us. I mean, everybody's got problems. You got problems, I got problems, all God's children got problems. That's reality. That's life. The question is, what's your focus going to be? The psalmist says, I'm going to give thanks. The temple is in shambles. A foreign power is overtaken. But I'm going to give thanks. Why? Because as I give thanks, I gain hope. 
We gain hope because God is near. His activity declares that he is near. And friends, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we know that God is here and near. He has poured his very spirit within us so that we live in immediate intimacy with God. And Jesus Christ himself has poured the spirit uh, into our lives so that we might literally be the temple of the spirit. God is near. And friends, if God is near, then there is hope for tomorrow. Give thanks and gain hope. With the psalmist, we declare God is active and he is near. But then the psalmist goes on and the worship leader is interrupted by God. I love it when God speaks out of turn. We are so consumed with how things are supposed to happen and and the order of things. And it, it gives us a sense of comfort. But do you realize that God invades our liturgy to speak? That God invades our order of things. He's not asking our permission. He's not waiting for our order to get in line with what we want. God speaks. And when he speaks, he changes the course of our thoughts. And the psalmist begins, he says, in verses 2 and 3, God, God begins to speak. He says, when I choose the proper time, I will judge with equity. The earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved, but I set its pillars firmly. And what the psalmist is talking about, or what God is talking about through the psalmist is simply this, times are tough. But God is our security. And God is our security. God speaks, and, and, and when he speaks, everyone should listen. But what does he say? He says, in my time, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to judge with equity the wicked and the good. There is judgment coming. There is judgment coming for us. God says, in my timing, I'm going to act. Uh, here's the thing. Many times we don't like God's timing. And let's just be honest about that. I, I don't understand why we pretend like we're all super spiritual and stuff. If God doesn't act in a way that, that fits my expectations, I get disappointed. Don't you? If, if I need him to intervene in a circumstance, in a situation, and he sits there with his hands in his pocket, it seems, I get perturbed, don't you? I mean, you may be more spiritual than I am, but the truth is, I get a little frustrated when God doesn't get on my timetable. What about you? I think he knows that about me, and he does know it about you as well. But it doesn't change the way God acts. You see, God is always operative according to his sovereign purpose, plan, according to his perfect wisdom. And God is always operating according to his will, not mine. 
After all, he is God. My job is not to try to dictate to God how he is supposed to work or when. My job is to submit and humble myself to his work, to his timetable, and exercise faith in between. The psalmist was saying, and God was speaking through the psalmist, he said, the world and all of its inhabitants are dissolving, they're melting. And God's God, God doesn't seem to be so urgent about it. He, he's not saying, now I'm going to act. He says, no, I'm going to act in my time. The world is melting, God. Don't you see it? It's melting. My world is falling to pieces. God, what are you going to do? And God says, well, on my timetable, I'm going to do exactly what needs to be done. I'm going to act with justice. The foundations of the earth are, are, are shaking violently so that everything's falling apart. God, why aren't you acting? And God's saying, ho, 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 ho. On my timetable, I'm going to do exactly what needs to be done. You're going to experience it. But hey, I'm the one who's holding everything together. You see... God says very clearly in verse 3 that he is the one who is our security. He is the one who's holding the, the world in its place. And even when I'm walking through a season of suffering, I can count on God to do exactly what needs to be done to give me security. God himself becomes our security. It's almost as if he's saying here, you know, if I act too quickly, you're going to pretend like you helped yourself out of this mess. If I move too fast, it seems, God's saying, you're going to take credit for the rescue you have. If, if I move too Fast, it's, it's, it's not going to give you enough time to be urgent for him, for God. It seems as if God is saying, I've got a better timetable than you do, and there is a lesson I'm teaching you in the midst of this season of suffering. The world is melting, but make no, make no mistake, I'm not going to let it melt. I'm holding it all together. Now, he says... Trust me. See, our security has to be in God or it's in nowhere good. And if there is a lesson that's hard for us to learn, this is it. We love to be our own source of security. We love to be able to control the security that we want to experience and feel. But God says, no, you just have to live in faith and take the leap and understand that I love you and I'm going to take care of you. Remember, Jesus went to a cross understanding that there would be a season of suffering. 
But he also had a clear vision of God's security. That God would bring a resurrection. You and I need to live the way Jesus lived. Right? I mean, we know that. And Jesus lived in such a way that God the Father was his sole source of security. Between his death and his resurrection. Are you exercising that kind of faith? God is our security in between. And then, uh, picking up in verse 6, we hear the psalmist begin to speak again. And uh, at, or, uh, verses 4 and 5, God still speaks. And, and, and really, from verses 4 through 10, here's what we hear. We hear God calling us to be humble. And this is one of the greatest lessons we can learn today. And, and again, not a lot of flash in this one, but here's what I would tell you. If you're not humble, you're not prepared for the season of suffering. And you will not thrive in the season of suffering. If you're not humble, you're not going to experience God's nearness. If you're not humble, you're not going to know the power of his provision. See, God works through the humble. Again, it's not something we like to take hold of and act like that's a good ethic for us, but, but this is so important. Again, uh, listen to God speak. He, he gives a warning in verses 4 and 5. He says, I said to the boastful, don't be boastful. And to the wicked, don't lift up the horn. Don't lift up the horn on high. Don't speak with a stiff neck. Now, do you know what shakes the earth and causes it to melt? In this context, it's the proud and the wicked. The proud and the wicked are in many ways very synonymous. The proud are those who act like they don't need God. The wicked are those that act as if God doesn't care. Or doesn't exist. And, and the psalmist, as he's listening to God, as he's writing down this song, he, he hears God say, I said to the boastful, don't deal boastfully. I said to the wicked, stop it. Why? Because it's the boastful, the proud, and the wicked that are shaking the earth. You want to know what shakes your life, what causes it to melt so often? As I look at my own life, nine times out of ten, it's not something that somebody has done to me, but rather it's my own pride or wickedness that causes my world to melt. On occasion, it's somebody else doing something to me or a circumstance that is happening to me, and, and, and certainly that happens, but in my own experience, nine times out of ten, it seems... And the reason my world is melting is because I was prideful in my arrogance. I was independent rather than dependent on God. That led me to a lifestyle that was displeasing to him. Choices that were outside the realm of what he desired. I think if you would track down your season of suffering, 
when your world is melting, I would venture to say that the majority of time that your world melts, if you're honest, it's not because of what somebody does to you. It's because of your own pride and wickedness. So what really what we learn from this passage is that God is warning us to set aside our arrogance, our boastfulness, set aside, I'm speaking with a stiff neck. Uh, the neck is the one that, that sets the direction of our life. And, and if we fail to turn our necks toward God, then we're going to live in this, this uh, uh, myopic vision of the world through the lens of my own desires and lusts and pleasures. He talks about the horn. Well, what's the horn here? Well, it, the horn is a symbol of power, strength, and dignity. And what, what God is saying is, if you're lifting up your own horn, then really you're just blowing your own horn. That's really what he's saying. Stop blowing your own horn. You cannot praise God and blow your own horn at the same time. I want you to hear that because some of us forget it. Even the most spiritual people fail to understand that it's an impossibility to praise God and blow your own horn at the same time. And we cover it with mock humility. Oh, yes, to God be the glory. All the while, we're taking glory for ourselves. We're not interested in God getting any glory. We're, we're, we're blowing our own horn so people will look at us. And God says, stop it. You can't blow your own horn and praise God at the same time. That's why worship so often is so weak and milk toast. It's not because of the songs we sing. It's because of the heart with which we sing them. We're more interested in us than we are him. And that's why we're failing in between. God's calling us. To be humble, in verse 6, the psalmist picks up the explanation of what God has said. And he confesses, no, you're not going to find a lifting up in east or west or north or south. He said, he said we're not going to be lifted up in any other place. There's no place on this earth that we're going to be exalted. The only place that's going to happen is with God. Only God can take someone and exalt them so that they... Stand firm and strong. It is God and God alone who gives us dignity, power, and strength. Not what we do, not what people say about us. So the psalmist says, if you want to navigate the in-between, then you better praise the Lord. You better be humble. In verse 7 and 8, the psalmist uh, continues and he says, he says, God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts the other. In the hand of the Lord, there is a cup and the wine is red. It is fully mixed and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. He's, he's talking about a cup of wrath there. I don't know if you picked that up. Um, he, he's talking about judgment. He's saying there's going to be judgment. And that judgment is going to fall on those who exalt themselves. That judgment is going to fall on the faithless. That judgment is going to fall on the wicked. There's judgment coming. So the psalmist picks back up in verse 9. 
The psalmist says, but I will declare forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. You know what he's saying? He said, I've got a different way of living. I'm, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord forever. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to allow my focus to be diverted. I'm going to keep my thoughts and my heart fixed on what God has done, what God is doing, what God will continue to do. I'm going to focus on Jesus and thank God for that wondrous gift of life that he has provided for me through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to thank God and I'm going to gain hope. I'm going to praise him and 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 I'm not going to stop praising him and I'm not going to be sidetracked by my own desires and I'm not going to get uh, deluded into thinking that I can control my own life. I'm going to praise him and I'm going to humble myself before him and he is the one and the only one that can keep my world from melting. Today, the warning for us comes in verse 10. Verse 10 sums everything up. God begins to speak again. He says, all the horns of the wicked, I'm going to cut off. But the horns of the righteous will be exalted. Today, you may be living in a season of suffering. Maybe you've just come out of a season of suffering. Maybe Maybe you're preparing to go into a season of suffering. In between here and heaven, how do you navigate when your world is melting? You praise the Lord. And you find hope in him. Would you bow your heads, please? This morning as we've gathered here, I just want to call attention to a couple of really important parts of this psalm. Great lessons and great truths to take home with us. The first one is everybody's going to go through melting moments. It's part of our life. Especially as followers of Jesus between here and heaven, we're going to endure suffering. So just understand that's, that's going to happen. And maybe right now as you're in the midst of that suffering, you're, 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 you, you've, been, you've been confined in the tight spot of your own complaints. And, and guys, there's nothing, nothing wrong with listing how things aren't going right. I understand that. But, but that can't be the narrative of your life. This morning... You need to flip the script. You need to begin to praise the Lord. You need to give thanks for all that he is doing and has done so that you have hope for what he is about to do. You got to praise God when the world is melting. Praise him. Give thanks to him. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. You just need to stop and give thanks. And as you give thanks, you feel feel the hope of God inspiring you again. Give thanks. Maybe this morning you've been looking for other sources of security 
places where you can find strength or power or dignity. And, and certainly there are a lot of places that promise those things, but only God can deliver. God is the one who provides security for your soul through faith in Jesus Christ. And he is the one who is near and active in your life right now. So maybe you just need to cry out to God for the security that you long to know emotionally, spiritually, financially, physically. You just need to cry out to him for security. Or maybe you're just proud. You you have lifted up yourself. You've praised yourself. You've dealt boastfully, arrogantly, in a self-centered way. And today God is calling you to be humble. Your arrogance has led you to faithlessness. And God is calling you to repentance. Now's the time. This is an act of your worship, not a time to leave. This is an act of your worship, not a time to get ahead of the crowd. This is an act of your worship, responding to God, praising Him, worshiping Him, confessing sin before Him. That's what this moment is. And whether you come to this altar, whether you come to one of these ministers, or whether you just stay right where you are, God is waiting for your response. So now, God, in this moment, have your way with us. Set our gaze upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And may we worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.